Hi everybody! This is a series about gender and sexuality in music education. Since our language surrounding these topics is ever-evolving, please note that terms used in this podcast may not match what is most current at the time of your listening. I also recognize that we may not all agree on how to handle these sensitive topics and situations, but I encourage you to listen with open minds and open hearts. Enjoy the show. everyone. Welcome to Music Education Genderally Speaking. I'm your host, Stephanie Gregory, and today I have a conversation with Dr. Joshua Palki, who is Assistant Professor of Music Education at California State University, Long Beach. Dr. Palki and I discuss his work in writing and developing gender-inclusive policies for music education, and one update since our conversation in May, Dr. Palki's new book, Honoring Trans and Gender Expansive Youth in Music Education, with co-author Dr. Matthew Garrett, has been sent to the publisher, so be looking for that through Oxford University Press in the near future. Just to start, if you could just introduce yourself, that'd be great. Sure. Um, My name is Joshua Polkey. I'm Assistant Professor of Music Education at California State University, Long Beach. I know that you are in choral and vocal music education, but what are some of your um, areas of research interest or what have you been working on? So most of my research centers around issues of social justice and music education. So that has mostly, that that initially took the form of LGBTQA issues in music education. uh, More recently, I'm doing more work in uh, culturally responsive teaching Can you tell me a little bit about your musical and academic background? And I have um, a little personal interest question being a fellow youper. um, Ah. (laughs) How how, um, growing up in the Upper Peninsula maybe shaped your journey as well. Oh my gosh, where are you from? I'm from Escanaba. Oh my gosh, okay. (laughs) My my, My aunt works at Escanaba High School. That's so funny, small world. Okay, so... To not bore you too much, the the basics, so I'm, I'm from Ishpeming, and, you know, it's an iron mining town, but uh, my grandmother was a church organist for over 50 years, and so I started singing in church with her when I was seven, I think, and just sort of took off from there. My great aunt had actually, uh, which is crazy considering you know she was in my my grandma's generation so um she she actually left the up and uh she didn't finish but she went to college at depaul to study piano and so i studied piano with her a little bit and you know sang in choir all in school and played in band and all that stuff so yeah, it would, but it was really, it was really had a lot to do, I think, with my grandma's encouragement to to keep going because, uh, you know, as you know very well, where, where where we grew up, you know, being a being a musician is not really a thing that you do for a career, you know. So, yeah, so I went to undergrad. Uh, I went to Ball State, which is a state school in Indiana. And uh, I went there on the recommendation of my high school choir teacher who had gone there for his master's. 
And I really just wanted to go far away from home. You know, so Muncie is about 13 hours drive from Ishpeming. And I just kind of wanted to get out and chart a new path. And uh, I was there, I was there for a year and uh, I really loved my teachers there, but I got invited to be part of this exchange program. So I actually spent my sophomore year as a guest student at San Jose State, which is one of our sibling institutions. So there's there's 23 campuses of the CSU system. So CSU Long Beach is one of them. Uh, San Jose State is another. So I studied there and I did a sort of a, an intensive study in choral conducting. The woman I went there to study with had been my all-state conductor when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh I had never been to California before. I was 19, just blew my mind. I'd never really been out of the Midwest, really. I'd never been west of the Mississippi River. So just blew my mind. So uh, I went back to Indiana and I finished. And then I moved right back and I had my first teaching job in San Jose. Yeah, I, I relate to... Um wanting to just get as far away from the U. You know, when you grow up in the UP, it's like everywhere seems farther. But um, I went to Western Michigan University, which was like the furthest you could go in Michigan and stay in Michigan, stay in state. Um, and and so I, I relate to that. Anyway, we could talk about that forever. But um, I'm interested, you said, so you were working more with music and social justice, and that's how you got into the area of gender and sexuality in music ed. Yeah. And um, your newest, your um, 2020 article highlights voices of three trans-identified students. And so I'm wondering, why do you think it's important for music ed research to include these authentic and unique voices of trans-identified students? Good question. Uh, so that's my dissertation study. Um, so it took a very long time for it to appear in a journal, which is a story I'll tell you another time. But uh, yeah, it, it, part of, part of, of social justice work for me is to highlight the voices of people who have less privilege than I do. Mm -hmm. So I see it as my responsibility to use the many, many layers of privilege that I have to, to highlight these more marginalized voices. So uh, trans folks are not monolithic and, you know, their, their, their voices have not been heard in music ed hardly at all. So I just think as much as I can give them a stage to speak, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's important. And that's, and that's a, a really important part of, if you look at uh, transgender theory, which is kind of a, an emerging thing still, it, a lot of transgender theory talks about people being able to sort of claim and speak their own narratives. So that's very important to me. Um, in this, in the article that was published, you also discuss school and school district policy. And so I'm interested how, how you got into talking about the policy, if it stemmed from talking to the students or it was of your own accord. That's a really interesting question, actually, because that was an emergent research question. So as I got into interviewing them, I hadn't initially thought that policy was going to be that important, but in all of their stories, it was very apparent that policy really played a strong role in their 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 choral and musical experiences. So we added that as an emergent research question, and uh, you know it was fascinating because you don't when you have 
when you have cisgender privilege, you don't realize how many policies you don't have to think about, right? Uh, you don't have to think about, you don't have to be stressed about being out in public and worrying about not being able to find a public bathroom. You don't have to worry about uh, some, uh, you know, it, going to a new school and having everyone call you a name that you hate and that makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, all of these things. Uh, and then, you know, to say nothing of, you know, uh, these organizations that sponsor things like honor choirs and and then what do you do about uh, uniforms and what do you do about states have have uh, policies that say that old people of old, uh, of certain genders can't audition for certain voice parts and what do you do about housing i mean it just the myriad policies that that don't affect me as a cis person that really affect those people so so that's that's how that that came about it definitely arose from from the data mm -hmm. for sure and so you, when we, when you were in our seminar last quarter, you talked briefly about California's policy development and how you um, were taking part in that. Could you just speak a little bit of what you can about that? Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the board for the California Coral Directors Association. So we function as the state chapter of ACDA, but we are also uh, an affiliate organization, which means we're our own 501c3 nonprofit. So we have much more autonomy. So our our new president, uh, Dr. Benson from San Jose State, he actually created a new position on our board. So, um, just for context, are you are you an instrumental person? Are you are you a vocal person? I'm a vocal choral. You're a vocal. Okay, cool. so you're familiar with ACDA, right? Mm -hmm. So so nationally and regionally and statewide, we have these R and R shows, repertoire and resource chairs for different areas. So he actually created a new R&R position on the board for LGBTQ perspectives. And I believe that we're the only state in the union to have that, that role. So, and it's been really, it's been really timely to have that because first of all, uh, the state of California bans travel, official state travel to states that have discriminatory laws against queer folks. So there's now 11 states on the list. And after Dallas was announced as the site of the, the next ACDA National, Texas was added to the list of states to which we can't uh, spend official state money to travel to. Uh, but uh, so we, we worked, I worked with a, a, a couple of other people from the board. It's not a policy statement exactly, it's, it's, uh, but it's a statement explaining what the state policy means, what it means for us as CCDA members as we navigate the choice to go to Texas or not, and you know, making very clear that that we're not recommending that people go or not go. We just want people to understand what those decisions mean. So that that was actually really tricky to write because you know, I, like, I feel very strongly, you know, like, personally, like, I'm not going, like, I'm not going to spend my own money in a state that hates me, uh, and discriminates against me. But, uh, you know, other people, I can't tell anyone else how to feel or how to act. So it, I had to remain very, very neutral during that one. Uh, we also, uh, I also work with folks to write a, a new policy about honoring trans students in our honor choirs. So that is, that's more of a straightforward sort of policy statement. I'm so fascinated by the first one because 
we were having this discussion about touring and taking your choir on tours. And I, I had only, um, thought about it in the sense of like another country who might've had a different policy on, on, um, gender and sexuality topics, but I never thought within our country that it just never occurred to me. Yes, of course there are states. And so I'm curious in this policy, I mean, of course it is, you know, designed in mind with students and their safety. Did you um, have any student input on these policies or, you know, did interviewing these um, trans identified students play any role in the shaping of the policy for you? That's a good question. I'm sure that it did. Uh, you know, I, I definitely draw on all of the research that I've done in terms of what folks have experienced in and trying to alleviate some of the hardships that I've heard about in, in these stories. Uh, I think I, I would probably say like indirectly, yes. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that I, like, went and reviewed transcripts as I was writing. But I was also writing with other people, you know, sure. so it was a, it's a collaborative, it was a very much a, a collaborative sort of living document. Sure. So I, I would say yes, indirectly, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, again, this, I don't know why this policy strikes me, the not going to specific places. I have so many questions about it. Um a uh, choir director, colleague of mine, and, and I, we took our choir in 2018 to the Upper Peninsula to do a tour, specifically because we had a very diverse choir, racially, economic, socioeconomically. Um, our goal was kind of for exposure. And so my question um, is, in these states that may have policies, uh, they may have policies against trans students, do you think at some point it's important that they are also exposed to a diverse population that they may not see often, or is it too much a matter of safety to even risk it? Yeah. So, so just to be clear, this, this California policy is, is, is bans travel to any state that has a law that's discriminatory towards queer people generally. Okay. Right. So, you know, like North Carolina, when they had that crazy bathroom bill, that was obviously on the list, right? So, um, uh, you know, uh, states that, that um, it, it lists them all there, right? Yes. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's not only laws against, uh, against students. It's all, all okay. queer people. Okay. So this, this is, uh, th it's a great question. And, and it's, it's one that every person has to grapple with. And, that, and that's sort of what, what the whole point of our, our statement was, right? I mean, we can't, we can't tell you what to do. Um, let me give you a couple of examples. So you may have heard that uh, after the 2016 election, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus had planned a big, I don't know where they were going, maybe China. They were planning some big international trip. And after the election, they decided to cancel it and they called it, I think they called it the, the Purple Pen Tour or something like that. And they did a tour through the southeastern United States, through all these red states, to, to, to bring this message of sort of equality and, like, like you said, to expose people to this culture that, that they're maybe not familiar with to, to build those bridges, right? 
So, I mean, I think that those are, are really important things. But you have to, you know, it's a, it's a delicate dance, right? You know, and I'm sure that they had to do a lot of work internally about making sure that everybody felt safe and, and putting in, in, in uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, setting a course of action that is going to ensure everyone's safety. It's really the the you know it's really complicated and it's really an individual decision. But but I I can totally see validity in both sides of the argument. Right, and for for the record, too, Michigan is not on the list, so it there was no real potential like law safety issue. Sure. It was sure. mainly just a, a a lack of knowledge of sure. you know, and, and exposure. Where where's your school? Um, the, it was the Hyde Park neighborhood choir. So it's like the university of Chicago area. So you have kids that are, um, children of professors and then also kids just who live in the neighboring areas. And, um, so it's very vast in, in racial diversity and socioeconomic level. Yeah. Yeah. They had a great time. They said, oh, we love our upper Michigan selves because they just, you know, run around outside, but, (laughs) um, well, I'm just wondering now that all the policy discussion is so incredible and thank you for doing that work because I know it's not sometimes the most gratifying and, and you know, it's a slow process, but it's super important. Um, who else do you see doing great work in um, gender and sexuality inclusive policies or maybe not writing the policy, but enacting it in their classrooms? So this is, when I read this question in your email, I was like, Wow, this is this stumped me for a minute. So, I, I mean, I think from what I've experienced, it's it's mostly being done on the grassroots level. I think you know uh, our policy in California was sort of modeled on a policy put out by the Florida Vocal Association that was done a few years ago. Um, I also worked with. There's so we have another choral organization here in Southern California, SCVA Southern California Vocal Association, and I worked with them on a similar policy. Uh, but it 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 really uh, I and a couple of years ago I had a discussion with someone in Texas of all places that was uh, in trying to push a policy like this for through TMEA. So, uh, but what, from what I've experienced, it's it's people in these states who say hey, like we really need to do this and sort of lobby their state organization to do it. Um, I don't see as, although maybe that's changing. I don't know. But, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's not like, you know, if you ask me about, like this morning I was talking with uh, one of our undergrads. I, I'm um, honoring her, her, or I'm, I'm chairing her honors thesis. Mm-hmm. And she's writing about, Policy language around uh, ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, and mm-hmm. how that affects students with special needs. And you know, like you, like a topic like that, I can name you four or five scholars in music ed that are doing the work on that, right? But in terms of like it, identifying someone, hopefully they're out there. I don't know. I'm sure that they are. I just don't know who they are. Yeah, I'm thinking the only people that I can think of are in the queer theory realm, like Dean Spade, who's writing, you know, about trans-inclusive policy, but not, I can't, I, I couldn't think of anybody at the music 
in the music ed area either. So yeah, so it's actually the I'm actually about to tackle the policy chapter in the book that Matthew and I are writing. So um, I just started reading this book. I don't know if you if you know it, it just came out. And because you can't all see the Zoom screen right now, Dr. Palki is holding up the book Policy as Practice, a Guide for Music Educators by Patrick Schmidt. So um, this just got published. And and I mean, actually, the only reason I, I found out about this book is because I saw on Google Scholar that he had cited one of my articles and I was like, oh, I didn't know this book existed. So I just got it. And and. If you could give any advice to teachers and administrators who are looking um, to develop a more inclusive policy, what, just based on your experience in writing, what advice do you have? Can you say that one more time while I formulate my thoughts? Yeah, if, if teachers and administrators are looking for a more gender and sexuality inclusive policy in their schools, school districts, communities, what advice do you have on a on a basic level if they just want to go an inch or if they want to go you know the full mile uh i would say consult with with queer people in your area uh and and listen to their experiences i would say look at models you know um and and see Try, try to create the best, most inclusive policy that you can, right? So um, completely blatantly shameless plug, uh, read chapter seven of our forthcoming book because chapter seven is, is, de- is devoted purely to the voices of our, our interviewees. So it's going to be, so the last question we always ask is if you could stand in front of a room of music educators and give advice about how to honor trans and gender expansive youth, what would you say? And chapter seven is literally literally going to be verbatim their answers to those questions, to that question. So, uh, and there's a lot of really good policy recommendations in there, you know, um, especially uh, the, some, some new research in general education is talking about the importance of name and pronouns, for example. Uh, one of our participants describes that uh, as a life-saving act. And um, so, you know, th- things like that, really, really important. And what is the book called? And when is it coming out? So this is, uh, our working title right now is Honoring Trans and Gender Expansive Youth in Music Education. And the the draft is due August 15th. So I don't know when it's going to come out after that. But And who's the co-author? Matthew Garrett okay. from Case Western Reserve University. Well, is there anything else um, on this, you know, light topic of <laughs> inclusive policy that I didn't cover that you want to share? Um, I, I would just say, don't be discouraged that people are, that there are people that don't agree with, I mean, I won't speak for anyone else. So I'll just say people that don't agree with me that uh, are, you know, making the case that folks like me are making music education political and that I'm bringing politics and sociology into somewhere where it doesn't belong and that our job is to just teach music. And, and that's been, uh, you know, it's been difficult to navigate that because when I boil down those arguments, I'm just looking at, are you being more inclusive of more people or less? I just don't know how in 2020 you can argue for being less inclusive. And and maybe someone will convince me one day, but I, I I just I don't understand at all how you could think that way. So 
uh, it's not always the easiest work to do and it's delicate and, and the discussions might be uncomfortable. Um, in fact, the, the, you know, if, if you're really doing the work, it's going to be uncomfortable and that's okay, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Right. We still have to move the field along. So, right. Right. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Of course. I, 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 I'm honored to be asked. Let, let me know how else I can help. Thank you so much. Music Education, Generally Speaking, is produced by me, Stephanie Gregory, with music by the Nishon Holloway Band. For more information about the podcast and our guests, visit stephaniegregory.com and click on the Music Education, Generally Speaking, podcast icon, or find us on Instagram, at Meg's Podcast. We hope you'll continue these important conversations within your own communities. Be well. Tonight I'll close my eyes And I'll view all the alchemy side Won't judge, rehearse or divide I'll relax to detach and decide To try